like across the scope of sports, the term vote of confidence has made quite the comeback. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates in the same place that you found this. Penguins versus Coyotes tonight at PPG Paints Arena. That's a 7.08 p.m. faceoff. I'll be there covering it for DK Pittsburgh Sports. Logan Cooley, the West Mifflin product. Local kid who was the highest ever draft pick. Someone from Western Pennsylvania, number three overall. Boy, is he good. It'll hurt your heart to see a local kid play like he does in some other uniform. But hey, it's not as if there won't be greater concerns for the home team and for that matter, the home crowd that isn't offered comp tickets from the Cooley family. The Penguins have lost four in a row. Their power play has, repeat after me, not scored in 37 opportunities. And yet they're doing a lot of things, in fact, most other things, fairly well. So when Kyle Dubas called, and this was his call, to have a an impromptu press conference with local reporters after practice yesterday up in Cranberry, it was done with a purpose. Because as I've shared with you guys before, he hasn't exactly been, you know, at the Jim Rutherford level of being available or accessible to those of us in the media. He's around, you see him, but it's it's just not the same. It's not the same. With Jim, you could just take the phone out and say, hey, Jim, you got a minute? Sure. Everything with this guy seems to be a little bit more formal, buttoned up. And he can come across that way in the formal sessions that he does have. It can feel kind of mechanized, for lack of a better word. And this did, too, in how it came about and how it was delivered, because he knows what questions are going to get asked, and and he had all of those questions get asked. What about the power play? What about the injuries? What about the general feel of the team, the overall record? What about Mike Sullivan? What about Todd Reardon? Well, he was certainly ready for questions about the coaches, and I couldn't be more convinced, and I felt this way before it started, that all he wanted to do was to address the coaches so that the coaches didn't feel like they were walking on thin ice or the players didn't feel like they could get away with murder because the coaches are walking on thin ice. And This was what he had to say about the coaching. What I would say to that is... Um Number one, it, it, with Sully, and, and I mean, I had my impression of him coming in and my uh, respect for him coming in, being with him every day and not only seeing, uh, you know, the, his attention to detail on the systems, but his attention to detail with the players and coaching them individually and personally. Um, 
Yeah, I think we're very fortunate to have Mike. And so do I think that um, that he's the right person for this job now and far to the future? I absolutely do. It's on me to continue to help support the coaching staff as best I can um, and help us get us going in the, in the right direction. And, and I think the thing that's been encouraging for me with the coaching staff is they're not transfixed by their own systems or what worked in, in, the, in the years that the club won. They know that we have to continue to adapt in there and they're trying to every single day, every hour that they find those. And, and it's and they're not beholden to what worked in the past. They're trying to figure out what's going to work moving ahead. So um, that to me has been the most encouraging part. And like any team that's in this spot, we have to continue to uh, to find our way out of it. And uh, I'm certain that Sully's the best person to to help us in that regard. Now that's pretty strong. You probably agree with me on that. That's a strongly worded vote of confidence. The reason that I believe it even though I've got no meaningful history with Dubas, is that he included himself in every one of those assessments. For example, when he says, I believe this, I'm certain, I'm certain. Those are the two words, by the way, that we pulled out as a quote and put on top of our site at DK Pittsburgh Sports following the press conference because there's a picture of him at the podium and then there's those two words, I'm certain, along with a more detailed headline beneath it. For him to do that tells me that he was just trying to buy the coaches and really everybody else in the process some more time. Is he justified in doing that? I believe so. I know you're probably tired of hearing me state my support for Sullivan. And for those of you who follow more of my coverage than just the hockey, you're probably looking over across the aisle at what I've been saying about the Steelers and Mike Tomlin and some of their coaching and wondering why I don't go at the Penguins anywhere near as hard. I have a simple answer for that. I'm not there at all. I don't believe that this head coach is the reason that this team isn't winning games right now. I could see flaws in the roster. I could see flaws in the chemistry. I could see flaws in some of the leadership. And yeah, you'd better believe I can see flaws in the coaching, but not to the extent that you would wipe out a pretty good, pretty knowledgeable and extremely hardworking coaching staff because of what amounts to a quarter season of mostly underachieving. But that brings me back to where I began this segment. Do you know that the Penguins rank third in the NHL in goaltending save percentage? And that, of course, puts together not just Tristan Jari, but also Alex Adelkovich, and don't forget Magnus Helberg and his big win out in Los Angeles earlier this season. All of that together is a 919 save percentage, third in the league. That's to Dubas' credit. That's to the credit of Andy Kyoto and, of course, the coaching staff as a whole. The five-on-five play of this team, which any coach at any level of the game will tell you is the hardest part to get right, or should be, is number one in the NHL. Number one. And that's despite... 
especially of late, some pretty significant injuries. Brian Rust just yesterday was announced by Sullivan as being out week to week with an upper body injury. So Rust's out. Ricard Raquel is out. I know nobody wants to hear this because it's so much easier to just be mad and whatever. Everything to me comes down to this power play. If you look at the close nature of the Penguins' losses, if you look at the third period component in their losses, and you ask yourself, how much difference would a power play goal anywhere along the path in those games have made a difference? And when I say that, it's not just about numbers. It's not just about the goal. If the Penguins score a power play goal, let's say 10 minutes into the game, midway through the first period, the other team instantly goes back on its heels because they know they can't commit penalties the way they might be able to against another team. Whereas now they look at that power play and the way it's going, and we can do anything. We couldn't care less if we trip a guy or take him down or uh, remove a scoring chance because they're not going to hurt us on the power play because they stink at this. Well, they need to stop stinking at it. They need to... Do not stink at it. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from Todd, who says, Hi, DK. From someone with only modest hockey knowledge, is it possible to build or to create a net front presence rather than to buy it? through a trade or demanding it from one of their stars. Could you, for example, hire Patrick Hornquist as a special purpose coach? Decide which non-Hall of Fame forward will be designated as that guy and coach him up to stand in front of the opposing goaltender and make a difference. They've all got some level of stick skills and eye-hand coordination, and they do play in the world's best hockey league, so how about using those skills purposefully by making it someone's actual job? Todd, everything that you say sounds so logical. You made such a compelling case, almost in a business-like way. Like if you had walked into my boardroom, as if I have a boardroom, and you said everything that was just there, you'd have sold me a, a zillion different ways. I'd be on the phone with Hornquist within five minutes. And from there, I'd start figuring out which of... Radim Zahorna or Drew O'Connor or whoever I was going to subject to this coaching process. Here's the part that won't make sense to you and probably to most everyone else. But hockey people believe, and I mean believe going back decades, that being a net front presence is some sort of inherent gift. You are either born with it or you're not. I know it sounds ridiculous, but take this from somebody who's covered an awful lot of NHL drafts and been on the floor with an awful lot of NHL scouts and evaluators. They see it at that age, even earlier. They can tell in the early teens when a player wants to go to the net, when a player has a, a magnetic pull to go to the net. And I'm here to tell you, I've never seen an example of when this is wrong. I've seen net front type prospects 
not pan out for other reasons, but never because they didn't want to go to the net. At the same time, I'd have to smash my forehead against a cement wall to come up with an example of someone who didn't have that trait about them at a very young age and developed it in the NHL. They do exist, but they are few and far between. And again, I can't even, I can't even concoct one. I can't even say something like, Oh yeah, there was this dude in the mid eighties. And I, I don't have that. I don't have that information. And regular listeners to this show will know I'm usually pretty quick to cite specific names or years or whatever. I got nothing on this one. I don't have a single player that I can think of who developed that as they went along. Maybe the only one would be Ryan Malone. And that's going back 20 years. Speaking of local kids making it in the NHL. When Bugsy was coming up, and I'm not just talking about at Upper St. Clair High School, but through the travel ranks and so forth, he fancied himself more of a skill player, even though he's 6'3 and a real wide shoulders and big build. And he wasn't that much of a net front guy. Once he got to the Penguins, Sidney Crosby's uh, a rookie here, and there were other players. It was a really gritty team that surrounded Sid, if you'll remember at the time. And Bugsy's size was needed in front, and Bugsy put himself there, and he did so well that he ended up becoming chosen for the U.S. Olympic team in 2010 and all kinds of other good stuff. But even then, I I don't know that I would put Bugsy in that classification. With all due respect, love the guy. So, yeah, what you're saying sounds wonderful. It sounds like a concrete solution, actually. And there's not a soul in the hockey world who'd agree with you. Crazy, right? But true. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. Again, I'm covering the game tonight. I'll have a column about it on DK Pittsburgh Sports. And you and I will hook up again right here tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.